everyone, and welcome to Thad. What are we called again? Beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics. <laughs> a part of me never wants to record you doing that and just have you do it live every <laughs> just time. Just to make me keep doing it, you rat. <laughs> and today we are joined with a special guest, uh, Dustin Blakeman. Say hello. How you doing, everybody? Glad to be here. Blakeman is a writer, a filmmaker, and at one point in time, the lead singer of Shudder. That's right. Yep. Current uh, cur- currently, I guess, of message control. Also, yeah, cur- currently ensconced somewhere in the wastes of the American Midwest. Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much the long and short of it. <laughs> it, okay, it basically. Hmm? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today's episode, we're going to be dealing with horror movies because it because... is the month of Halloween, the month of the yeah. harvest moon, yada yada yada. And we are we are not a pumpkin spice focused podcast, so this is the other way that you go during this time of year. <laughs> Although I'm not gonna lie, I do love myself some pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, I'm actually really annoyed that people pretend that pumpkin spice is like just for uh, basic white women. Uh, it is also for basic white men. God I'm gonna damn it. say I enjoy the fuck out of pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> it's, it's about the only time of year I buy coffee, so. <laughs> They're doing something right. I'll tell you this. I, after working at a grocery store, I will say that we do go overboard on pumpkin spice everything. But yeah. the pumpkin spice mm-hmm. latte can't stay around for long. But, I mean, we, we live in, despite the fact that we don't get, like, the constant uh, the constant crazy club music or the PVC clothes, we do live in a <laughs> cyberpunk hyper-capitalist hellscape. So overproducing <laughs> nonsense is kind of the name of the game. Right. Yeah, it's true. I saw pumpkin spice lotion the other day. I was wondering what exactly. I'm not quite sure. Where does the spice come in? That's what I want to know. Like, it's really just pumpkin scented at that point. Uh, Maybe it it burns a little bit. You got like a Ben Gay feeling or something. I'm just like, no, no, we're not going down that rabbit hole. We're not going down that rabbit hole. Right, right. Movies. Hey, let's talk about motion pictures. Have you heard about motion pictures? Pictures that move like everyone, and that's why they're, they're called movies. So if anyone ever tries to I talk to me about well, language honestly. is going downhill, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about the fact that we call them movies because things move, and it's silly. Uh, it's, they don't even they really move, man. They're just like showing you a bunch of images in a row. The shadows <laughs> on a shadow. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine if we still called radio talkie? <laughs> no, no, it's the wireless. Do to screw with people? We're... <laughs> Have you guys said the latest okay. talkie? <laughs> okay, this has gone off the rails. Just it it, right. an order so, of magnitude faster than normal. <laughs> so Thad wanted to spend a few moments at the up top to talk about this new uh, indie movie called Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I I did. Uh, and we have to keep it brief because my personal life in the last at this point like two three weeks since it's come out what i don't remember how time works any period of time that i've been around my significant other like 80 percent of it has been talking about blade runner right. uh, not not just me at her though like we we do this at each other aggressively uh so <laughs> i need another valve to release this pressure um i keep so yeah. hearing about it yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I kind of want to bring it up just because, like, uh, as I as I said in the the pre-show that none of you out there know about, so I don't know why I brought it up that way, other than because I do, <laughs> is is that it kind of made me believe in sequels again? Because right. th- let's just say that things attached to Ridley Scott properties of the past do not have a great track record of late with revival. <laughs> no. And I know that's what? really specific, what? but I feel like I'm justified in putting it that way. <laughs> I love I, I love Blakeman's outrage and shock. <laughs> oh. uh, did you see the last Alien movie, up. Blakeman? It was in the trailer. What? I'm sorry. Did you Did you see the last Alien movie? No, I haven't seen that either. Bo, oh. I, I I watched. I, I've read extended spoilers of it. You yeah, know, I, I'm a I writer, have, so I have I, weird I, feelings yeah. toward both Prometheus and Covenant because, quite frankly, I think they both show promise if they had not been Alien movies. Yeah, right. like, if they had not, if they had not shackled it, and the, it had just been about the weird adventures of David as he slowly right. lost his mind in space. Like, I'm yeah. on board for that. Just leave the Alien stuff behind. I, well, that's what I don't. I mean, go ahead. Ridley is really. He's really gone off a rail on on the kind of story he seems to want to tell. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's really just nihilistic philosophy coming out of his ears. At this Super point. is. 
It really is. And while that's, you know, I, I, I enjoy films, so you kind of have to enjoy nihilism to a certain degree. All the greats do, you know. But yeah, like to be to be time. if you want any street cred with other film snobs, you have to hate life and a the fact bit. that human beings have it. it like too, it's not a little bit. Like if you want to talk about Bergman, you can't be happy completely. Right. right. Well, I would argue exactly. that Bergman's actually somewhat happy, but that's just me. He well, like that true. that like he it's he's weird. <laughs> But yeah, no, like I think like, there is like Bergman. we talked about this before. Like there, there is a little bit, a little bit of nihilism goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. But at some yeah. point, I think Ridley Scott just seems to be navel gazing at the nihilism. And I mean, I'm like, there's nothing I new also, about uh, this, right? I will also argue that I think there is such a thing under talked about about joyful nihilism, and I think that's exactly. part of Ridley Scott's problem and yeah. part of Bergman's strength is that Bergman exactly. can find the humanity in nihilism, and Ridley Scott likes to publicly masturbate with old right. successes. <laughs> Right. Well, exactly. understand that the end of the seventh seal is them dancing. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm okay. I'm a big Herzog fan, and God, yes. I mean, you want to talk Preach. about beautiful nihilism? You know right. what I'm talking about? That's like all that guy deals in. Like, I. Uh, but it's I, never pessimistic. Yeah. Some of his best movies are. Yeah, exactly. It's not pessimistic. He hates everything, but he loves it because of that. And it, I don't know. It works uh. somehow. Ridley Ridley has that problem, but I've had that yeah. problem with Ridley since the Gladiator days. I didn't really jump sure. on that train for the same reason. It's so, it, it, it's not just uh, dark. It's it's emotionally dark in a way that it, again, it's nihilistic. There's really yeah. no better way to say. I honestly it. It, think that Ridley Scott has proven himself that when he makes when he makes movies that are more like Spielbergian, i.e., The Martian, like he does yeah. way better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. agree. The Martian Agreed. was so good. I forgot it was a Ridley Scott film. That's. <laughs> I me right, too. Right, I, right. I I keep having to remind myself that Ridley Scott can still make good movies. <laughs> when you put it that way, it is a little sad. But <laughs> but yeah. Well, no, the, so so anyway, I guess my the my man thing produced twenty forty nine. So what can we yeah. say? Right. Uh, I, I think it. Well, I think it's the same thing with George Lucas. A lot of these people mm-hmm. need to fade into production roles. Mm-hmm. They need to. Because right. they don't, they don't have what they had when they were younger anymore. Because what they had right. was the ability to collaborate and to to know limits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like Ridley and George Lucas, I think are the er examples of what happens when you forget that the only reason you were successful was because not only were you good at what you did, but you were, but what you did was finding and working with people who were better than you. Right. Exactly. It's very true. I mean, it, Empire Strikes Back is a perfect example of that. It was the mm. perfect storm of, you know, Lucas stepping aside and letting somebody else take over and, you know, just pushing the story elements that needed to go where they should go. And I mean, you know, that's a great example of how well it can work for the creator in that regard, because, I mean, the story is one of the best remembered parts of Empire. Right. You know, it's it is uh, the favored Star Wars movie for a reason. Exactly, exactly, and yeah. No, uh, then one you, of the things where I was like, you go, well, you go to the prequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of the things where you have like it takes a real talent to understand like w- when and what you can contribute, and when you st- and start to realize how much your contributions are hurting the overall product. Yeah, and I, right. I think a lot of it just right. comes down to the like the auteur idea, where the director is the name is the name that's the right. name that gets spoken. Right. Right. And they and after a while they can't help but absorb that. Like some will last longer than others, but it does seem to be just about inevitable depending on things. But we we should we should probably wind this down and, and get to the actual topic of today. Right. But I right. mean quite honestly, my main takeaway from from why I wanted to bring up Blade Runner in a lot of ways, uh I don't I won't talk any spoilery stuff or anything like that, but the thing that impresses me about it, it has plenty of things worth picking at uh, stylistically and, and little flaws we could nitpick about forever. But it is, as it is, I think, as talk-aboutable as the first Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. And that, to yeah. me, is not... Like, I, I didn't even hope for that. Right. And it, right. it just makes me feel good about liking movies the way that I do. Well, yeah. visually, yeah. it's one of the few films that literally <laughs> took my breath away. God, it was pretty. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> well, not only that, but again, I think Roger Deakins' cinematographer in the widescreen lens really like he was like, you know what you do with the widescreen? You just let it sit there. You do, <laughs> and you just oh. make sure to get everything you want in frame, and you make sure to have some negative space so the eyes aren't going everywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It it just it it gives all the time in the world to to framing 
and to pacing and to letting things breathe, and it's all the better for it. It's fantastic. Speaking of genres of film that are all about pacing and uh, <laughs> and some other sort of awkward segue. Uh, well, I think honestly, was. the nihilism thing's actually really good segue because we're all going to be talking about yeah. horror films, and I think the yeah, worst yeah. horror films you... are the ones that deal too harshly in nihilism. Uh, it's they're the ones that drive me the baddest. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, so, I, so yeah, let's let's each take a little bit here to stake out our sort of space and whatever our our sort of initial positions are in regard to horror films. And since I'm the one saying that, I will point to one of you. Uh, <laughs> Blakeman, you go first. You're the guest. <laughs> first. Blakeman, you're the guest. Yes, welcome, welcome. What do you got? Hello. Uh, okay, wait. What am I? What's the question now? What is what is your personal like? How do you construct horror movies? Like, how like, do you approach? When you look them? at a horror film, like what what are you looking for and what are you not looking for? I see, yeah. I see. Okay, well, my favorite—I I can tell you what I—I'm drawn to definitely, and that my favorite type of storytelling is definitely heavy in mythology, not necessarily historical mythology, but uh, uh, the that film itself's own mythology. Well, like well, films so that are sort of... the time to build a world and with great rules and everything. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I'm looking for good payoff. I'm a big fan of the third act, so Set I'm up, very, <laughs> very picky about uh, horror movies because of that. Because so many horror movies are just about the setup and the scare, and they they get to the third act and just peter out because uh, they never had yeah, anything to do in the first place. There is nothing more disappointing than a movie uh, that that has a really strong, like a horror movie that has a really strong first and second act, and then doesn't so many, know how to pay it off. Right. So many do. So many. It's it, it's so really. The thing that I'm always looking for is I'm a story hound, I'm a writer, so like I'm always very interested in the effects and I'm very interested in those scares, the moments that they build up. And there's definite craft to both of those things, but at the end of the day, um, my favorites are when they give me that payoff at the end and it really feels like I went on a, a journey that is just focused on terror and and fear and you know the darker parts of reality and non-reality, so... Uh, I I think in general it'd be probably I don't know maybe uh, horror movies that tend to stray closer to suspense and thriller, mm. <laughs> or probably in my more so yeah my less of, less of slashy and more of yeah uh, yeah like, what what the fuck right I would stand here here's a perfect example I would stand here and tell you that I hated Eli Roth with every fiber of my being <laughs> if. He wasn't in Tarantino movies. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I saw, I'm the like, bear oh, Jew, well, the bear Jew gets like that is exactly. why I, I like Eli Roth. It, I love <laughs> Eli Roth, but not really because I, 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 because I, I've seen what he does with his time. Right, I don't understand him creatively at all. But like, yeah, Tarantino yeah, yeah. does, and and I trust Tarantino. So you know, I kind of got a very broad. <laughs> opinion of horror movies i i forgive them i tend to forgive them for a lot more i enjoy bad horror movies a lot more yeah. than i enjoy bad dramas i don't know because... as, a, as a bit of a as a bit of a segue there like bring up yeah. bad horror movies i kind of yeah. want to butt in because I've the three of us of them. well yeah but, but also the three of us are children of an era that i deeply miss and that is just seeing the horror movie shelves at a video rental place oh my god <laughs> Like the those people knew how to sell you on just the dumbest thing. Like oh, I, I hear when you stories could go in and see Leprechaun in the Hood and Pumpkinhead Three. <laughs> yes, man. like there I, are I, so I, many movies that will I'll never see, but yeah. will haunt me because yeah. of how evocative their weird yes. cover art was. I, you hear stories about old producers making the poster before they made the actual film and you totally <laughs> get why, man. I, seriously, I've, ne I've never, ever picked up... I don't even know what movie it is. You know the, the cover with the, the skelified cheerleader? You yes! know what I'm talking about? I do. You know what I'm talking about. You don't know what movie I'm talking about, but you know the video cover. It's that sleep. I I, I saw that that movie covers slowly sunbleach on the shelves of a blockbuster <laughs> video. I will tell you that. We that's had right. that in movie gallery. Yeah, that's right. It was a classic. Video Junction and shit, man. Like, that was, that was the time. Oh, yeah, Video was like... Junction, I remember you fondly. Uh, uh, see, my favorite was Art Park Video, but I was a Harrisonville kid, so yeah, we, yeah, won't, yeah. Like, we won't seriously, talk about that. 
if if anyone if anyone out there in the ether hearing this like wants to just have a good afternoon there are plenty of lists like listicles as the kids call them of just like weird horror lists. posters no need to call them listicles they're lists <laughs> there're just there are plenty of lists out there on the internet uh, of just the weird beauty of uh like direct to video horror movie covers oh god just gorgeous <laughs> the stuff uh, I love the stuff. Like I, I, oh, God, I, yes. I've seen the stuff, and let me up. tell you, I'm sure you have too, but let me tell you, the cover of that movie <laughs> is the best part. It really is. The movie's not half as scary as that cover. I love Never. the movie, but oh, not for great. anything good about it. No, it's, it's uh, very what's serious. Your, what's your opinion of horror movies? I, I, I sort of go in two directions when I okay. think about horror movies. Um, uh, as we have discussed before, at length, for a couple of uh, episodes now. Uh, I am a child of practical effects. I will I will follow like Cronenberg body horror movies to the end of the earth. Right. Uh, there there's just a weird beauty about that to me. Uh, and also you know you're you're the the Carpenter horror movies uh, usually the supernatural horror. Although I mean when we get into the like I, I would in a way call like Assault on Precinct thirteen like it's somewhere like it's it's thriller horror in a way to me. I don't know. Uh, Somewhere yeah, in that vein. I can see that. A lot of but, people die, man. <laughs> yeah. But, um, it's a great movie that no one talks about. It is. It's true. The original, uh, not the remake. I the original. The, remake. the original, for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, I, I love me some, some, like, good practical effects monster horror. Like, and it's got to be that balance where it's, you got your good puppetry, but also don't just show the monster all the time. Like, you got to have that balance. Right. Uh, it's a tightrope walk, but I also like I I have that a similar bend with Blakeman in that that I want something that's got like the the world feels lived in and the the like there there are I don't want to say comprehensible because as a as a you know a, a huge fan of cosmic horror I don't need it to make sense right. but if it doesn't yeah. make sense it's not making sense needs to make sense. Right. Well, exactly. It's, exactly. It's circular in a weird way, but it is a thing. Well, exactly. we've talked about this a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys know there's a movie out this weekend. I haven't had a chance to see it called uh, Happy Death Day. No, I, I've heard about it. I've not seen it. It's basically it a horror comedy in which a woman is forced to relive the same day over and over, and where she gets murdered. Oh, okay. okay. So, so and, Groundhog Day with death. Right. With more death than Groundhog Day. With more death. Right, uh, or man, or uh, a differently framed amount of death? I don't yes. know. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, there are people online who are like, I like the movie, but they never explain why she's living the same day over and over. Oh, uh, that would... And I'm like, okay, you're looking at the wrong question here. Yeah. Because you, you don't have set of Groundhog Day, and you don't need to know why something's happening unless the movie's about why the thing is happening. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> like, that, that's I... the thing, is I, I, I will get annoyed with people for presuming that that question has to be answered, because... Right. I yeah, because agree. you can tell a story where it doesn't need to be answered. Right. It's true. It's true. As long as it's it, it's just about the realism of the world itself that they're right. creating. Yeah. As long as the story is true to itself, then I, I do pref- I like stories where they go into the mythology. I wouldn't mm. mind a Groundhog Day where they explain the Groundhog like if that was yeah. what it was about. I right. feel like I could like that, but at the same time, I don't. I don't need it as long as the story doesn't need it. Right. Yeah, I mean, because I, 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 it's not about why he's living the same day over and no, over. It's about... Uh, right. No. It's, it's a character study. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. It's still got that third act. I've still got my denouement. Oh. That's that's what I need. That's right. the I, mythology I mean, so, that I really So I, I go generally in that direction, but I also, especially like in the last... Like the most recent era of my movie going life, let's say. I don't know exactly when this happened. It's probably something I inherited from my friend Ross now that I think about it. But <laughs> I, I, I find myself hungering more for surreal, surreality in right. films. Like the, the yeah. sort of Italian horror. Like, uh-uh. mm-hmm. uh, and like it, it, it still makes a kind of sense, but it makes nightmare sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's dreamy. I, it's yeah. dreamy. Yeah, dreamy. I feel like the idea of good. nightmare logic or dream logic is sort of lost on a modern cinematic crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except in France, they still right. are very big on it in France. Oh, I that's mean, because I... you're French. 
No offense to like, people we might have listening. Like this is this is this is part of my holy war that I keep going on that is deeply ironic because we are uh, of course <laughs> children of the fundamentals, right? And we of course love our 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 site and our home here, but I hate fandom uh, because of everything it does. Because I like this is like I, I everything about my adult life of an, as a nerd is seeing the bitter fruits of getting everything I thought I wanted as a young man. Right! Because, like, everything about movie, of everything about the most expensive movies in the world right now, the centers of industries that are incomprehensible in scope, monetarily, and in terms of the human lives they touch, <laughs> are all built on the insanity of superhero comic universes. <laughs> And, like, the kind of nitpicking that that entails destroys the kind of storytelling we're talking about. Not only that, <laughs> I just want to point out, when it comes to comic book storytelling, the word insanity has never been more apt. And I also, like, I don't want to be completely nihilistic, because, like, I see what, like, James Gunn has done in the Marvel brand, and I'm like, there's hope. Right. There, there, there's still like creative, really vital, interesting things that can be done even within this highly commercialized, like fan nitpicked sphere, right. and that makes me happy. Uh, but yeah, like just the everything is under such specific types of fan scrutiny, very toxic fan scrutiny, and not all fans are toxic, yeah. and not all fandoms are toxic. I, right. I get that, but the loudest ones are. There's a they lot make themselves them. known. Yeah. Uh, Rick and, and Morty. That's, that's I guess that's right. <laughs> okay, we have, we have we can't go down that hole. We can't go down that hole. <laughs> we shouldn't go down that hole. You're right. Um, uh, for myself, the, the um, tragedy is I, I deeply love Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and I, I totally understand that. But uh, Sherman, I where love, are you at? I, for me, horror movies um, next to westerns are probably the most problematic genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of how they treat. Um, both women and people of color. It can yeah, be very, like, uh, very Which is, of course, one of the ways that Get Out was so fucking transcendent. Right. Uh, the I best horror I... movies are the ones that subvert that toxic trope, and the ones that I t- t- uh, tend to gravitate towards are mm. movies that do recognize that, or at the very mm-hmm. least have something to say to the broader idea of uh, society. That's why yeah. I guess Wes Craven, who's probably one of the more successful horror producers, He's a sociologist, and the majority yep. of his movies are dealing with deep social issues of some kind, either the yep. way like, how we view stories. It uh, is, it is amazing to me how many of these like how many directors that have made these just like cult classic films had like real serious grown up people careers <laughs> before. Because like Craven was so like is a sociologist, fucking. Matt, the oh god, I'm blanking on his name because I'm bad with names. Got Mad Max guy. Um, oh, George Miller. Oh, George. Yeah, yeah uh, he he was a doctor, a medical doctor. <laughs> really? Yeah. He wow. he financed the first Mad Max by doing like house calls in an ambulance. Wow. <laughs> uh, George Miller. In, god, I can't in Australia. I yeah. Apparently they uh, they have healthcare in Australia. They don't just like walk it off, as I always assume, and like wonder it. <laughs> well, now my my question to you guys is because it seems like with the boon of superhero movies, we also have a boon of horror movies. Because it seemed like there was a bit of a drought for a while. Mm-hmm. And do you think we, well, are we does it seem like because it seemed like for a while all we had was Eli Roth movies? Yeah, oh. well, yeah, and it, but that's and that's still going on because there's a whole there's, <laughs> there's a DVD trade still. Right. Oh well, that too, yeah. But there's a whole DVD underground uh, distribution industry for horror that just dwar- uh, practically dwarfs the the kind of money that mainstream horror yeah, it movies will not do. Quit. Like yeah. right. B horror will always be fine. It's well, really it's, easy to make. it's a huge thing. Yeah. And and uh, like honestly, as much as I don't follow it, I'm happy that it's there. Like I'm yeah. always glad. Like I don't. Re- it's the same thing. Like I don't read Fangoria, but I'm glad Fangoria is out there doing the Lord's work. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, exactly. It's one of those things where it's cheap and easy to make, and college kids will always need something to watch while they get drunk. 
Right. And the one thing college kids love to do is watch bad horror movies and get drunk yeah. and get high while watching them and make fun of them because, again, like last uh, episode, they love making fun of cheesy trash. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And we have a I'm, long history of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Vampire, yeah, yes. uh, yeah. USA, Up All Night. I mean, there's a long history of yeah. late night yeah, like that's, television. Yeah, that's the thing a lot of people miss about Mystery Science Theater. The the kids these days that are on our lawn, God, you, you know how much <laughs> I hate them uh, for being on our lawn, right. but... Mystery Science Theater is not original in any capacity. It is a child <laughs> of those kind of weekend movie shows. Right. Like exactly. it's just the one that got picked up. Right. Like say, there are there are yeah. a thousand local cable access shows that did it's not exactly like not a lot of them talked over the movie, but right. like mm-hmm. would do riffing skits and all this other stuff. Like that was oh, yeah. that was a genre. Yeah, in my uh, in my particular uh, Midwest neck of the woods, I will say U sixty two, and it'll make a few people go home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had uh, we had the guy who did a popular series of car commercials. Uh, Ray Adams. Is it Ray? Ray yes, Adams. Ray Adams. Yes. Ray Adams. <laughs> uh, did Such two things: Midwest he sold trash. cars and he showed B movies on the weekend. On channel sixty two K. Channel sixty two. Oh, it was on. After Saturday morning cartoons, I remember. Yes, it was. It was beautiful. It's like right <laughs> after the like it was right after the X Men show, so it's like you get this uh-huh. weird transition yep. through like surreal Hyde sci-fi trauma yep. <laughs> into <laughs> B movie garbage beauty. Like well, not only that, but sometimes to... it'd be like Robocop or Alien, but nine yep, times exactly. out of ten it was like something like Swamp Thing too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd try to watch every time. thing from another world or whatever. Right, right. Planet of the Invasion. Night Mistress, yeah. The B-movies of B-movies. Right, exactly. I try to watch them every time, but it was pretty oh. rare I made it to the end. But there, yeah. There's a special place in my heart always for bad horror movies. So like I said before, they always get a little bit more of a pass. But that yeah. said, what Sherman was saying, I mean, I think you're dead on. There really is, as far as mainstream horror movies go, there is definitely, uh, there's a lack because, uh, I mean, as far as even the big properties go, you've got Saw gone this year, but uh, and yeah, it's rewriting the book right now. Yeah, like, it, it, is, it is such a, like, that's such an outlier also but, because it's... Well, it's new, so we haven't <laughs> seen the backlash happen Now, yet. I can't like, tell if we're saying the title of the movie or if we're using the, the pronoun. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, here's the thing, well, and let, this is the most bizarre it's parentheses thing. 2017. <laughs> We're getting a slew of horror movies, but not around Halloween. No, right. right. Which was like what? it's baffling because it would make the most fucking sense in the world. <laughs> because who doesn't want to go see a horror movie on Halloween? Friday the Thirteenth yeah. came out, and we had uh-huh. one horror movie, and it was a comedy called Happy Doctor. Well, most mm. of the good, most of most of the horror movies that I've really enjoyed over the last few years are the ones that they dump in February for some yes. reason. Yes, yeah. Well, that, okay, Flatliners and um, Flatliners oh, and Happy Death Day. Yeah. I work oh. in a movie theater now, and both of them are rated PG thirteen. Boo! And it's not till I ask for the ID and I've had to hear him like, "Why?" And I look down at the screen, it's like, "Oh shit, this is PG thirteen. Well, what's the Boo. point of this?" Like yeah. I, I was really, I was really hoping, and maybe it's still too recently, but I was really hoping that like Deadpool and Logan would loosen the cap not just on superhero R ratings, but maybe like on it being okay to make R rated movies again. Well, here's the thing: yeah. PG thirteen is a a nonsense rating, and I'm not it saying is. you can't have a horror movie that's PG thirteen. It's mm. just that if you have a horror movie that's PG thirteen, you know why it's PG thirteen. Yeah. Right. And it's not because it's good, it's because they wanted more ass in the seats. Yeah. And Christopher uh, like, Nolan is not uh, even immune to this, because he made Dunkirk PG-13, because, quote-unquote, he wanted kids to see the whole of war without actually showing them the whole of war. Yeah, there's right. no... Then it... Fa- like, ugh. Ugh. And also, it's it's doubly... One of the few things that I will say vaguely positively about the decade that we uh, got here from uh, the 1980s. If the, if you haven't been, I suggest checking it out. Right. But um, is I was I was ranting at my mother about this on the phone the other day. As you should. About how heavily 
R-rated things were marketed to children unabashedly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I oh, still my God. have RoboCop and Terminator action figures that I bought at Walmart yeah. with my allowance money in, the, in like, right. the late 80s. RoboCop right. was the first rated R movie I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And RoboCop is brutal. It, it, is. it is. They it is. kill that guy. Well, oh, yeah. Not only that, but with streaming... I don't know streaming... if you know this, but Murphy died for our sins. Yeah. And he died hard. Yeah. The, the online streaming services have really sort of upended the very notion of the MPAA. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's one of the things where the, MPA, the MPAA has never really made sense. Because I watch people now when they go back and review movies. And there's a, there's a YouTube channel called Tamara's Never Seen. And she mm. watches movies she's never seen because she hasn't seen a lot of movies. And she reviewed Howard the Duck. And she was like, wait, there's an implied sex sex scene between a man, a duck, and a woman. PG? What the fuck? There's duck nudity. PG? What the hell? He gets a job as a jizz mopper. (laughs) And I mean, mean, the sex scene is even darker. The sex scene is even darker if you know even a little bit about duck penises. And then Fad says nothing else. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I didn't even think about that. My God, so so deeply disturbing. (laughs) But the fact that it's only rated uh, like rates a PG to the NPAA boy. Yeah, the 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 movie rated part of its problem. It's our magical time, and honestly, I think maybe part of the problem is is that uh, Hollywood is not doing cocaine correctly anymore. I know they're still (laughs) doing it. But, like, something has changed. <laughs> so we and should get I back on track, though. How um, great if it's for the better or worse. Yeah. Because we have, we've clearly gotten off track into amusing ourselves with how clever we think we are. No, 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 and... no, no. We've actually we're on course to some degree. Um, okay. Because um, one thing that has come back that the new horror movies have done is... Are you familiar with the studio Blumhouse? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Blumhouse has a model that they basically took from Roger Corman, and it's just right. basically the way Hollywood used to make money to some degree, is you make it for a reasonable sum, mm-hmm. and then if the movie flops, you, it's okay, you add a little bit of money, but you don't have to restructure the entire fucking studio. Yeah. Right, right. Like, not to mention Most of Blumhouse movies cost, like, maybe, at most, $12 million to make. Yeah, they're yeah. more like three to five. Right. And... They make they the the big ones make ninety nine to a hundred mil. Right. I mean, and when you think about the return on that, right. uh, the money they must be swimming in is insane. But that's really that's why I say there's such a a, a huge indie industry with horror films. Like they almost don't have to be good, and yet at the same time they have to be ridiculously good. It's it's a really weird. Yeah. Very weird dichotomy, but I mean it's Hollywood, of course. But I mean, I think I think part of it is that it has room to to not as I don't know about fail. Like if you fail hard, there there are typically consequences. But there's room to not like not to have everything have to be a huge money maker in order to just stay afloat. When you have three million to five million dollar budget and. And the the following of the studio is roughly a hundred million people who buy nearly everything the studio puts out because they're just nuts about the studio. Yeah, like horror movie fans are thirsty. They're thirsty. <laughs> they buy every, and it's all cheap. They sell them cheap. You know, you buy them digital anymore. Like I'm in a lot of ways, I am kind of jealous of people who are just like deep into horror movies and horror movie culture because yeah, they, they get, get new a movies consistent every week. flow of things. <laughs> they get like new not all of them every are Tuesday. good, but no. yeah. Like every Tuesday, <laughs> your shit yeah. drops. It's crazy. I've seen it happen. I know people who make those things. And yeah, it's, I remember. Uh, I remember working in in video stores. Like it's oh. they're just there for you. Like it's yeah. it's like comic books. They're there every week. Well, that yeah, is not like, changed. It's one of those genres that has a devout following. Uh, yeah, and very because much to so. be a horror movie fan, you have to be. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean this quite literally. You have to be a certain type of person. And yeah. it doesn't mean you have to be a deranged like psychopath. Because most horror it, movie no, fans it can be fun if are you're a very gentle psychopath. people. <laughs> yeah, God, like oh, they're a great fucking... crowd. I love them. Yeah, yeah I, I I know so many people who I would definitely qualify as as being like you know uh, capital capital H capital M horror movie fans. Right. Like, 
mm-hmm. and they are they just they earnestly love it and they're they, oftentimes they love all parts of the craft they'll like yeah. they'll follow and support like their favorite actors and directors they'll go to festivals they'll yeah, they're really they'll get into makeup. they'll they'll buy Fangoria yeah they'll fall yeah. they'll like learn a bunch about makeup and all this behind the scenes they're just they deeply love and are fascinated by it yep yep and I I've always appreciated that and like. Like you said, they're just they're they tend to be nice, gentle people who are really into I, yeah. Just I, I watching think honestly, movies. The best analog is is uh, metalheads in a lot of ways. Oh, like they look, yeah, they look real scary well, from the outside, but like ninety yeah. percent of metalheads I have known are the nicest, bear huggingest right. people in and the world. The, the remaining ten percent are racist, so that's yeah. really a good. <laughs> it's a good that's, allegory. That's, that's I a feel. good. And that's a good statistic for almost any group of society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. America as a whole, the, uh... there's that 10% that we have an issue with, and they're the ones fucking everything up. Exactly. But, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think this model is, I think part of it is because of that fan community. Like, oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's the old tape trade yeah. crowd. Yeah. It really, really is. And it, it's kept that industry afloat. And I think it's great because so many young filmmakers get their start over there, just like in the Roger, Roger Corman days. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, like, think about how many people who got, are... I mean, Matthew McConaughey started in, like, really crappy... Exactly! Yeah, Yeah. Renee Zellweger, exactly. (sighs) How many great actors and actresses working today were, you know, uh, college student A who gets knifed in the first 15 minutes of, (laughs) you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 14? (laughs) I mean, hell, like, like, I think that happened with... Wasn't it, like, Chris Hemsworth was in a bunch of, like, low-budget horror movies that didn't come out until, like, he got famous, like really fast and then suddenly he was in like really good and really like kind of right. mediocre shit at the same time well, Jessica Biel mm-hmm. was in one of the last uh, Chainsaw movies oh yeah yeah, yeah. exactly like, and it, it always is... happens that way whenever a star hits you know they always dig up everything that they can well, find on it's one of the things where the, the, the Blumhouse model and the Corman model what it does and Thad and I talked about this a little bit in an episode or two ago is it allows people to deal the, to force them to problem solve yeah, and so mm-hmm, when you get to bigger mm-hmm. budget movies, you just not more than you know what to throw money at and what not to waste your time throwing money at. Yeah, like okay, right. that's not working. Let's not waste time on it. Let's move on. We have a we have a deadline to meet. It also makes I mean, deadlines so... feel more important and real. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there's there's so much about. I think horror offers some some pretty unique opportunities for how you can do uh, do a lot with a very small budget. Exactly. Right. Because like a small budget forces you to do the smart thing like the things that are smart to do even if you have a big budget with horror right right uh like the less is more approach is almost always the better way to go in a horror movie that is any kind of like effects driven anything right yeah yeah well and even roger coleman even said like and roger coleman by no by no means is like some sort of like puritanical auteur the man is a (laughs) businessman pure and First and foremost, right. although his company is Janus, right. and his Janus film company is the reason why we have Bergman and Kurosawa and Ozu and all those over here in America. Oh, yeah. Right, right. But They've done good things. But he, he was very much like, look, I make Carnosaur for $14 million and it makes $30 million. Awesome. I make Carnosaur 2 for $12 million and it makes $25 million. Awesome. I make Carnosaur 3 for $10 million and it makes... Twenty million, awesome! I make Carnosaur four for five million, and it makes fifteen million. I'm never making another Carnosaur movie ever again. I, I will mean, milk it until, like, I will squeeze the blood until the blood stops coming. Right? No, no, no! <laughs> just before the blood stops coming, it's like just enough. Right? Like, right okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no need don't to run it... it into the ground until twelve. Four is fine. Right? Don't right. don't push it past the breaking point. Right. Push it right There's no up need to... for right. Carnosaur in space. Yeah. Which, by the way, I found out why Jason Ten took place in space, and it sort of boggles my mind. Oh. Okay. Uh-huh. It, they they pushed Jason to space in Jason Ten to make room uh-huh. for Freddy vs. Jason because they thought they were going to make a Freddy vs. Jason movie about that time. Uh huh. Huh. So they had to get out of his way. <laughs> so they uh-huh. had to just put him in space. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, you can make fun of it in space movies if you want. Leprechaun in space, very bad. Movie. Jason Tennant's space is movie. beautiful. But, but I, 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 sp- I have <laughs> to say, uh, the Hellraiser series, two is probably the best Hellraiser movie. 
the Hellraiser, the fourth Hellraiser is and may always be my favorite Hellraiser. <laughs> and I've seen all the crappy Hellraiser movies. I, I've, I've watched stopped, all the Hellraiser movies. I actually stopped to add two because uh, I I was afraid to have my dreams crushed, but I might actually <laughs> well, have to. Yeah, three three is crap. Three is just like uh, they they tried to just turn it into a slasher series Boom. and basically did that. Um, <laughs> it, it's all about them ripping up a nightclub. If I don't feel like so mid nineties, if I don't start to question like the very like structure of a human body by the end of a Hellraiser movie, I don't right. I don't really know what's. Oh well, well, they definitely that that really is all the third one is about. It's just an exercise in gore makeup and it oh. they they accomplish I mean, that it's that fun be interesting if, if it's just fun to see. Yeah. but the <laughs> first one uh, they actually delve into that mythology a little bit and there was Ooh. not enough time and or talent involved to actually make it a great film but as far as like fun b-movie stuff goes dig up the fourth hellraiser movie I, i'm i huh. wish i could remember what the dang name of it is oh, who it's cares like, it doesn't matter probably <laughs> there's some not thing but... google and apparently it's just no shit I always, yeah. I, I always just, I always just go to the uh, the Carl from Aqua Teen voice. It don't matter. No, it matters. don't matter. <laughs> you can just look up fourth Hellraiser movie. It'll come up. But they they go into the the creator. It's a it's a three. The space part is just of it, and uh, the the whole oh. thing revolves around the family of the creators of the box Ooh. Uh, that opens the dimension. So it's like. It, it's right. a good. The reason I bring it up, the reason I bring it up, is it's a good example of how storytellers can flex their muscles with a pile of crap franchise. <laughs> like it's uh-huh. perfect. It All really. Right. That, is that actually does. That actually does make me interested in seeing how they did that. Um, it is. It's very fun. I. I still to this day, it's the Hellraiser movie I recommend. Yeah. Beyond the first two, which are you know more like, hey, check out what Clive Barker does. Well, here's the thing: like in horror movies, more than almost more than the superhero genre, are yeah, the ones that really have like the most invested in sequels. Yeah, and, and true. sort of world building mytholo- world building mythology with each one. But if, the further they go along, every once in a while, especially with like uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Mm. The yeah, one that is essentially him that making a movie, exactly. a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie with all the cast members from the other ones, and just making a meta observation about Freddy. I am such. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. yeah that, so that movie meta. was made for me. Like, I... <laughs> it really was. Exactly, and me too. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I love oh, it when oh. they they throw off the we have to get a scare in every five minutes blinders right. and just really dig into those characters and. And talk about why they're scary. I mean, I say that, but of course, you know, it can famously it can kill a movie too. Because I mean, let's stay in the Freddy series. If you look at, uh, oh crap, what was the fifth one with Roseanne and Tom in it? Um, oh, uh, it's like the worst one. New Nightmare. No, right. that's the good one. Um, uh, final, final, final nightmare. I don't remember. Yeah. There's so final many. Nightmare. That was, it was it was so bad for that exact reason. It was like, let's tell the story of Freddy when he killed the kids. And Gone. it's just a pile of garbage. It's right. terrible. It's so bad. Let's, yeah, um, it's 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 the showing the monster of sto- of story choices, but right. like the whole movie was it. Well, like it instead just of like asking good. why are we scared of Freddy, they decided to right. show us why we think Here's <laughs> here's the best that we could come yeah, up with for maybe why you're scared of Freddy. Sympathetic, right? Right. you can make a character sympathetic in a movie and still make it uncomfortable. We'll get to that when I get to yeah. my movie recommendation. But yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I I do think that we should we should maybe make a pivot here because I think when when we started talking about the end of the Hellraiser stuff, uh, talking about Clive Barker came up, and I think that's a good oh, yeah. transition into adapting horror across uh-huh. me. Uh huh. Uh, because like well, the, the, the first couple of Hellraiser stories, like I've, I've read, a, I've read a good deal of Clyde Barker's short stories and I've, uh, yeah. so I, I know a good deal of that. And I feel like the, the first two Hellraiser movies, the only ones I've seen, uh, mm-hmm. do a really good job of adapting the spirit of his stories, uh, without like yeah. letter of the lawing it. it the, right. Well, I've Cenobites, never read any Cenobites are Barker. easily, yeah. Uh, Eric told me about a teleplay that he wrote, and oh, that fucked yes. me up so much I had to sleep Dude, with the lights on. I, I don't even remember the title of that, but Eric told me that too, and like, Dude, I, every time I try to remember it, it's like it's gone. 
Well, because you you're don't ta- want to talking... remember because it only sends you into madness. Hey, hey, you're talking to the guy who recommended that Eric read it. <laughs> oh, what is it? What is it? <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. I, I want to see if I black out. Now I don't know, but you're talking about the one. You're talking about the play where the devil is yes. is is uh he he's suing to get right. back into heaven. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's got. You want to talk about a great denouement? That movie, that that play, still messes with me for exactly <laughs> the reason you're talking about, Sherman. It's messed up. Clive is very Clive. Clive is very good. Um, the the thing about the movies is I don't know. Hellraiser's maybe a good example. The Cenobites are such. They're my favorite movie monsters but the movies still aren't great they're still pretentious and weird and (laughs) and don't make any sense at all when you get to the end like he doesn't know what to do with a third act he doesn't know what as movies i actually don't like them even though i like them yes exactly they're i love them i watch them occasionally still which is fairly rare for me and I still, I, I very rarely do I say you have to go watch Hellraiser two, even though it's better than Hellraiser one, even though it's not really. <laughs> and you know, it's weird. Well, yeah, you get I it like the horror movie. Life as an adult is essentially realizing but, that Catch twenty two is more politically yeah. deep than you ever. Really is wanted that to not? Do. Is that not an allegory for horror movies in general? Though, like yeah, it really that's is. It, like it, there's a kind of double think you go into. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. It's like, uh, it's, good. it's not great, and but it's better than most. And but uh, I, I feel like I feel like <laughs> well, going back comic books too. Going going back to to the the movie that is the hardest to grammatically talk about, uh, which mm-hmm. I also I haven't I haven't seen the new it because it's neither I, have I, I. But it's doing numbers I, that I are rewriting the story. Sherman, yeah. you've really seen good. it, right? It's really good. It's not so gay, it, but it's really tense, and it's a well told story. Yeah. And it sidesteps the really creepy thing that King does in his book. And I don't care how many times I hear I talk about sex positive mythology and cult bullshit. It you know is what? If you're, if, you're having, if you're having like 13 yeah. year olds have sex in a sewer, I think you've, you've taken a step too far. And I don't care how much cocaine you yeah, did in the 80s. It's, it's still not okay. Where, like, you, and, like, it's never like explained. It's, so like when I hear people like what he's referring to is. There are old cults back in the old days. Don't care. Had Don't very high care. Sex, posi- sex positivity, and that's how you connect it. It's like he never once fucking discusses that in the book. So shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't I, have to no. do medieval folklore and mythology to understand. Yeah, why I I'll, can't I'll, go, I I'll go. I shouldn't be that question. I'll go yeah. along for a lot of uh, like occult paganistic stuff in in mythology of film because I, I love seeing that but no I won't go on that particular ride with you right. like now no that's <laughs> it's very much 1970s edgy Absolutely. on its yeah. face it's very like much doing so. it to be edgy and he doesn't want to admit it so he just comes up with exact exactly I wish yep. he would now that he's older and much more woke than he was Cause, but because what can like he's Stephen King he can he can say it if he needs like. There's right. no harm in coming out I, and saying uh, that's He's admitted to not remembering not whole heard. swaths of his career. <laughs> so, I've, uh, it's one of the few books of his that I never actually finished, which right. is rare for me. Hmm. Um, I read a ton of his, and right. I never finished it. And I never – I also – I did not have the love for the original miniseries that everybody else did because I didn't see it until after high school. Right. I saw oh, it in yeah. college when I was on my movie-watching binge in college. Right. And – it's good, but like the stand miniseries they did was ten oh, times better than yeah. It. it wasn't bad, but like you had to be eight it's years Tim old. Tim Curry. It's scary. like anyone who says the original miniseries is so highly regarded for anything it's other Tim than Curry. Tim Curry is a, is a thought criminal. They right. are they are selling you something. <laughs> exactly. Well, the movie Tim is Curry not is good. So good. The Bill Skarsgård. It's basically. I don't think he's trying to do Tim Curry, but it comes off like he's trying to. Yeah, yeah like, you, you just don't have it. You don't have because Tim Curry has that way about him. Oh, he's yeah. not a creepy person. I adore and love Tim Curry. He is a he's yeah. He seems like a lovely man. In, like yeah. the the biggest problem with the episode of Glee in which they did the Rocky Horror Picture Show tribute is they had no Tim Curry. And if mm-hmm. ever there was a show designed for Tim Curry, it was Glee. But that's uh, you know, track. <laughs> but like I yes. watched Bill Skarsgård, and I'm like, no, no, you're not Tim Curry. I don't buy it. Yeah. Everything else is great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard he's okay, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but no. anyway, so like, yeah, the, the Stephen King thing, I, I actually never, I, I've read very few Stephen King novels. I was always more for the shorts. I've read like, a mess of them. I, so I mean, I. just I a went into, mess I went into of a huge, massive Stephen King funk. I, he's a huge influence on my, on my writing and my short yeah. stories. I can't write a short story without it sounding like him. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like, like forever. he knocks it out of the park with the short stories. But to me, that that's why, because I feel like his short stories uh, to. I'll, I'll keep this brief because we should talk about movies at some point. Yes. Um, <laughs> but like his, his short stories show that that kind of mythology is present, but they don't take the time to explain it. And that no, is, he's great like, at that. He's brilliant at that. And like he's, his, his novels sorry. show that, no, it's just like his novels show that he can also show you that mythology, but the short stories show that he knows how to not like have it while not having it. And that's right. very much so. Great. Very much so. He's very good, but he knows exactly how to, give guys like me who who are so focused on that that backstory and everything he knows how to give me just enough of what i need to feel like i'm getting the information i need and you're not just i i just hate like okay being in a dark room and having a person in that room with you who keeps coming out of the darkness and smacking you in the face <laughs> is scary like yeah. that thought is scary but it's a thousand times more annoying than it is if you know that that dude is dead you know what I mean? Like you've got to give it some backstory. Just jumping out of the dark and I want to make that face. horror movie, and I don't know. Why. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> and I want to cast Eric was... as the guy slapping someone in the face. Okay, <laughs> now you're just like wanting to... Thing to do. Now, now you're just wanting to tell like a life story from a period of your life. Like, don't, <laughs> don't fucking hide it. Yeah. You lived with you lived with our good friend Eric, and. <laughs> Every day he would jump out of the dark and hit you in the face. Like it's, we know it's fine. Roman was there too. We did it to him. Uh, usually have so, Hank and go meow. Aside from things that are particular to our friend group. <laughs> okay, we gotta stop uh, happening up. We only got about ten minutes left. Right, right, right. Okay, so we're gonna so start doing uh, like... re- movie recommendations. It is Halloween. Actually, uh, yeah. point point of order. Okay. I think we should do two. I think we should do a recommendation and an anti-recommendation. Awesome. Brilliant. Go. Good idea. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, my my recommendation is a movie that a buddy of mine turned me on to a few weeks back. It is an Irish independent film called A Dark Song. Uh, I don't remember if I, I think I mentioned this. I might have mentioned this on a previous I episode. I have down. Uh, in my queue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mention it again because I cannot recommend this movie enough. It uh, It's a two-hander. Like, it is a two-character movie. Okay. They are in basically one location. They're in a big house. And they are locking themselves in to cast a months-long ritual magic spell that is taken from, like, actual existing occult books that you can check out from the library in real life. Don't ask me how I know Ooh. that. And, Sweet. yeah, and it is just a very gritty like psychological study of these two characters, why they're doing this and the consequences of like existing in the world where this is a a thing that you can do, I guess it's, it's really something like it's a first time director. It's an independent movie, which is always good to support and it's Irish. So they obviously sound great the whole time, regardless. (laughs) I I don't know if they, I, uh, to be fair, I do not know if they sound good to other Irish people, but I have dumb American ears, so I hear <laughs> Irish as constantly awesome. <laughs> God, you've just brought to mind... Oh, Jesus. I thought I knew what I was going to recommend, and now I might have to change it, because you just brought something to mind, and uh, I'm trying to your, remember. What's your anti-recommendation? Um, oh, crap. Uh, You're the one who wanted I, no anti-recommendation. I know! I had one, and I, I got thrown, because I got psyched up into talking about my thing. Let's Can we do... Okay, we'll do the do recommendations, recommendations first, first, and then we'll do, do another second. round. Blakeman, go. Yes. Oh, man. I didn't... Uh, okay, fine. I'll go. I'll go. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you go. You go. You go. Okay. I'm 1960, Keeping <laughs> Tom, directed by Michael Powell. It is a movie that ended Michael Powell's career. It was his first solo film. You, it is a movie... You've told that, me about this before. This sounds familiar. Yeah, it's, about, it's a movie about a cameraman who kills women... When they are the, at the most frightened, he gets off of them being oh, terrified. Yeah. Ah, and yeah. basically, it's just him going through the movie 
it's all from his point of view, and the movie dares you to empathize with him and sympathize with him to a degree. And it's, at the same time, it indicts the objectification of women in horror movies. Mm-hmm. It indicts the idea of the trope of women in horror movies, the women in peril. And uh, unlike Hitchcock's Real Window, it goes, you know, the, all this voyeurism? It's kind of cool. It's really fucking sick, though, isn't it? So, so basically what it does is everything that a horror movie usually does, but it does not let you disguise that fact. No, it's one of the most uncomfortable movies in the world. Because it also follows a logical conclusion. Because he's a cause perfect example. At one point, he's had a, a body hidden on a set that he's working on, and the the working on the movie, and the girl's getting ready to open up the the trunk where the body's hidden, and he grabs his camera to film her because she's about to be frightened. Mm. Because he mm. can't help himself because he's compulsory. Oh, right. That's, that's, that's the type good. of movie it is. It's fucking amazing. Go see it. Uh, Blakeman, recommendation. Okay, um, I was going to recommend The Devil's Backbone. Because oh, most people haven't seen it, and it's goddamn amazing, and everybody knows that yeah, Del Toro's yeah. amazing yeah, now. Um, so everybody should go watch that. But uh, Thad saying Irish reminded me of a Connor McPherson movie that you two need to goddamn see it's so fucking amazing and i stumbled on it one day uh via a recommendation on amazon and i bought it <laughs> now i never i never do this or i rented it i rented yeah. it from amazon and i never freaking do this but it was connor mcpherson um okay. who is a playwright usually let me see what have you heard of um he's the dublin guy uh okay he did the the birds uh redo it's kind of weird i don't know anyway he's a playwright he was a little bit famous because of his playwriting stuff and i was obsessed with a play of his at the time so this movie came up and i was like connor mcpherson movie oh my god i gotta watch it it's called the eclipse okay okay. and it's fairly recent it came out in 2009 and it is a slow ass burn but (laughs) um the story it's about a writer Come, it, it seems like it's very autobiographical, but Lord knows, you know. Um, right. But it's about a writer who's doing a book circuit and um, is just falling apart emotionally and then meets a fucking ghost. <laughs> and it's, it is done so... Well, he falls in love with the ghost, basically. Um, it's, oh. it's, it's done so poetically and... and, and it's so reserved um, that normally I wouldn't recommend it to normal hor- horror goers because right. it is a very tertiary horror film. Right. But um, it is a it is a romance film about books with a horror element, and it Aww. is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Like there's gore. I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's a scary. There are scary, legitimately terrifying moments. Um, as he's figuring this out and figuring out who she is, and um, there's a subplot with his his father-in-law uh, passing away. Uh, I won't say more than that because it's a giveaway. That sounds It's intensely good. The Eclipse. It okay. is an Australian film, I believe. Okay. Maybe. No. No, I think an Australian company just had something to do with it. Okay. I think I just heard. Yeah, because I don't see anything. <laughs> I don't see anything Australian on the IMDb page. <laughs> I don't know who put it out, but anyway, Conor McPherson's Irish, very Irish. So okay. Uh, uh, so anti recommendations that. Uh, that I had a few that I was was bouncing one. between. We only, but, got, we only got. No, no, no. I know, I know, I know. But uh, but I I ended. Up eliminating a bunch of the ones that I really hated because they're B movies that most people won't find unless they're scraping the bottom of the barrel on Netflix. Quite honestly, I am jealous of anyone who has never seen The Human Centipede. (laughs) That is me because I never. I have managed to Uh, because, like, as I have seen the important bits. As I have said, like, I am a. I love body horror. Like, it is a thing Mm -hmm. that I quite enjoy when well done, and like, it's it's just bad. They're ugh. It's just it's awful. Not- it just feel happy that you haven't seen it. All right, Blakeman. Yeah. Um, I I probably have to go that same direction. I mean, there's just some real crap out there as far as 
just going into the horror of of mutilation mm-hmm. in and of itself. Like I I can't stand the movies that are only about that. Yeah, I mean, you were uh, talking you were talking down Eli Roth earlier. I, I, like I was I was gonna say like I I don't know <laughs> if I have to put Hostel or Hostel Two is even worse on the top of that list, but I mean it really is like the only thing that makes it a quote unquote horror movie is the fact that a group of a group of college kids show up to a scary house is in the elevator pitch. Like that's the only <laughs> thing that makes it horror. After yeah, that I, is I, literal I, torture porn. Yeah, literal. like that's. Because, I mean, theoretically, torture porn fits under the body horror umbrella, but to me, torture Mm -hmm. porn is like if you take body horror and subtract any real narrative from it. Right. Man, I mean, the horror... Hostile yeah, series yeah. makes okay. me really insane because, it, like, it makes the audition look artistic. Like, <laughs> really, uh, All right, right Shane, what do you got? Uh, my my anti recommendation is Lights Out. This is like a really crappy mainstream horror movie that came out that everyone has fallen themselves over. It's a oh, shitty really? movie. It's stupid. Don't go see it. <laughs> okay. With that being said, we have to end the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Blakeman. It was a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Okay, yeah, can they find you anywhere on social media? Having you. Oh, absolutely. Um, I work with a company called Method Media, and we do all sorts of fun, crazy things. They can find us uh, at Method KC on just about every social platform there is. Right. Uh, should check us out. We make pretty pictures. Uh, cool. All right. And Thad, same by you. Start on with Twitter yet, do you? Uh, I got something in the works. Okay. In the, in, in the next couple of episodes, I will finally have social media stuff because I'm also going to be doing some YouTube things. Exciting oh, things mm-hmm. are in the works. Hooray, mm-hmm. hooray. So... That's awesome. Be sure to check out The Phantom Minimalist, Unabashed Book Snobbly, Ladies First. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes. You can always check me out on Jay Sherman Fiction on Twitter, Instagram, or on my Facebook. All right, that's all, guys. Thanks for joining us. This Have has a happy been. This has been Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. <laughs> <laughs>